You are listening to the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast with Monica Louie, episode number 92. Welcome to the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast, where we help online entrepreneurs grow their influence, amplify their impact, and scale their businesses all the way to seven figures. And now, here's your host, Monica Louie. Hey, hey, thank you so much for joining me for the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. I am your host, Monica Louie, and today I've got another incredible interview to share with you. I've got a question for you. Are you maximizing your email marketing? How do you know if it's really working? So many of us spend so much time, money, and energy to grow our email lists, but as you'll learn in today's episode, there are a lot of things that we can be doing to maximize the effectiveness of our email marketing strategy. But first, if you are new to the podcast and you don't know me yet, I want to welcome you. I am Monica Louie. I'm a Facebook and Instagram ad strategist, and I run a successful ads agency where my team and I manage ads for six, seven, and eight-figure online businesses. I am also the creator of Flourish with Facebook Ads, which is my online training program that teaches my step-by-step system for creating campaigns that convert. My team and I have managed more than $3 million in ad spend and served more than 1,000 students and clients. And we are in the trenches every single day, keeping a pulse of what's working now in the world of Facebook and Instagram ads. And as I've been speaking about on the podcast a big topic of the day related to Facebook and Instagram ads is this Apple iOS 14 update that is coming. It is coming here any day now and you have to take action in order to be ready for it. So I am going over that with my clients and with my students in Flourish with Facebook ads. And so I want to offer you a special offer to join Flourish with Facebook ads. You can save $100 right now when you use the code iOS 100 at checkout. You can just go to monicalouie.com slash iOS 100 and the discount will automatically be applied. If you have been struggling to figure out what is going on with all these changes Facebook is making in relation to this forthcoming iOS 14 update and having technical issues, struggles, trying to figure out exactly what you need to do, that is what I'm covering with my students in Flourish with Facebook ads. So I invite you to join me. You get everything that comes with Flourish with Facebook ads, including six value-packed modules that sets the foundation to develop your strategy, attract the right audiences, and craft your creative. You get examples and case studies of real-life Facebook ads that convert, plus everything you need to implement your own Facebook ad strategy. And along the way, I am here to guide you and support you and give you feedback on your campaigns in our Flourish VIP program. It's all that you need so that you can have Facebook and Instagram ads success because I want to help you flourish with Facebook ads. So join me at monicalouie.com slash iOS 100. You can save $100 today. It's only for a limited time. I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to be running this promotion, but I want to give you the opportunity to jump in now before it goes away. All right. As you know, that one of the main strategies we use with our Facebook ads, with our clients, for myself, with our students, is to use ads to drive leads, to drive opt-ins to our email list, to grow our email list, to get more subscribers, drive leads into our funnel. And as I said, we spend so much time, money, and energy growing our list. But as my incredible guest today, 
in this episode shares, there are so many things that we can be doing to maximize the effectiveness of our email marketing strategy. I absolutely love this interview. My amazing guest today is the incredible Allie Grummert from Duet.co. Allie is an email marketing strategist and conversion copywriter and founder of Duet. She helps online business owners make a killer first impression through welcome and nurture sequences that engage readers, build brand loyalty, and optimize conversions for sales and site traffic. After starting a personal finance blog in 2016 and learning the ropes of online marketing, Allie has paired her hands-on experience with her advertising degree. She works with clients, including food bloggers, finance consultants, product and course creators, and membership communities to create tailored strategic email sequences that promote products and content readers both love and engage with. As you'll hear in this interview, Allie holds the coveted spot as the email marketing industry expert for the Food Blogger Pro membership community, which is created by the founders of the amazing website, Pinch of Yum, and she's worked with some pretty incredible online brands. So in this episode, we talk about how to increase engagement and optimize your email marketing strategy. Ali shares what quote unquote good open rates and click-through rates really are and a whole lot of tips for increasing them. She just rattles them off, gives us so many good ideas. Plus we talk about, should we clean our list? I've heard people on both sides of the fence on this one. Some say that you absolutely should not clean your list ever. And I want to get Allie's point of view on that. So she shares her thoughts around that topic, plus how to improve sales from your email marketing. And we cover so much in this episode, including Allie's recommended tools that she uses with her clients. And I want to make sure that you know that you can find all the links and resources that are mentioned in today's episode at monicalouie.com slash 92. That's M-O-N-I-C-A-L-O-U-I-E dot com slash the number 92. All right, here is my incredible interview with the amazing Allie Grummert from duet.co. Hey, Allie, thank you so much for joining me on the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. I'm so excited for our conversation today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to finally chat. Yes. Okay. So I would love for you to start off with telling people who you are, what you do today. And then I want to dive into your backstory of how you got here. Yeah. So my name is Allie Grummert. I'm an email marketing strategist and conversion copywriter, and I largely work with bloggers and content creators to make a killer first impression through welcome and nurture email sequences to engage readers, build brand loyalty, and optimize conversions for sales and site traffic. And I got here from a handful of different ways, but my background is actually in advertising and public relations. That's what I went to school for. And when I had my first full-time job after college, at some point during that time, I got into blogging. And so it's kind of been a wild ride since then. I think I'm just an avid learner. I joke that it was my digital playground. So like I got to learn and try out all these things with no risks. And I never planned to blog full-time. I just love the marketing side of it. And then that transitioned into me being an email marketing strategist for people who are like, I need email and I don't know how to set it up and I don't know what to write. And then that's where I come in. I love it. Okay. So I want to kind of learn more about that. So when did you start blogging? And then when did you make this transition to helping other, you know, starting from your own blog and then helping other people with their email marketing? Yeah. So I actually started my blog. It's so funny. I can just picture it. I was on my couch for like all of Memorial Day weekend, May of 2016. 
and watching Gilmore Girls and creating a Squarespace website. (laughs) So that's where it started. But even before that, I had a big interest in personal finance. And so, yeah, even if you rewind before I actually started the blog, it was my friends asking me money questions. And so that's where the blog name Ask Allie came from. It's now defunct. So if you go to check it out, it will be nothing. But (laughs) at the time it was like, okay, so if my friends are finding this valuable, I'm sure other people will as well. So it was just a place for me to share what I knew. And from there, I blogged for about two years And then I got the itch for self-employment and entrepreneurship. I think when you listen to just one, one too many podcasts about the freedom of self-employment, you're like, I got to do it. I got to try. And eventually my work, I'd been at my full-time job after college for five years and I loved it, but it was a small business. And I basically, my old boss and I joked, like I kind of did everything. I did project management and team coordination and client work and cold call sales and bookkeeping and HR. I'd kind of just done it all. So for me, entrepreneurship was just the next step to see like, what am I capable of? And I wanted to do things in the online space all of the time, not just on Monday nights when I was kind of drowsy and tired. So at some point that it just flipped a switch where it was like, I want to do this with my full energy. And so I moved to be part-time at my old employer. They were really gracious with that. And I was part-time with them for a year and a few months while I built up my business. So you, you did that part-time and then what did you start off with email marketing right away? How did you start offering your services? What did that look like? So when I first went part-time, I actually buddied up with a friend of mine who had just started her marketing agency gosh, six months before. So this would have been January of 2018. That was officially part-time at my last job. And we were working with my best friend and over the course of the next like seven or eight months, just realized like that I wanted to do it on my own. And then she had some life changes that came up too. So it wasn't until August of 2018 that I was like, okay, I'm starting a business. And originally, because you have your background in marketing and, you know, and you can think about a lot of different things and you know, strategic ways in college, they call it an integrated marketing campaign. So, you know, you're trained to think about Facebook here and content here and SEO and website and visual branding and user interface and all of this. So that's kind of where I started. And that lasted all of two months before I was like, oh, heck no, I can't know everything about getting Google ads set up and Facebook ads and copy and whatnot. So I narrowed it down pretty early to either do email marketing consulting or to be an online business manager. And for me, the choice ended up coming down to what I wanted my lifestyle to be. As much as I've always loved managing projects and people, the idea of managing like five teams with like five people on each team, like just constantly made me just quiver. I couldn't, I was like, this is not, that's not the lifestyle I want. And part of that too is that I'd also been struggling with kind of burnout and depression by that point. So I really had to think about what, you know, method of how my business and model it was set up to be able to really be gracious to myself and what I needed in that season of my life. So, and so for email, I actually started out doing email strategy and then email setup. I didn't really do, I didn't do any copywriting. I actually had an internship in college or it was a part-time job and I worked for an agency and somebody had criticized my copywriting more than once, just with the word, actually, it was just A-W-K. They're like, it's just awkward. 
And I'm like, I think that sat with me for a long time. I was like, well, I guess I stink at writing. And so I kind of had this like, you know, I separated myself from it. I was like, well, if I can't do it well, I'm not going to do it at all. And and come to find out, especially with, you know, after that was years before I blogged. So like I was a much better writer by the time I got into business and took a course on email marketing, which was less about writing and more about the system and the process of, you know, getting audience research, strategizing, copywriting a little bit, and then learning how different platforms work. But I also got to work for a couple copywriting agencies and just kind of get to mirror what they were doing and receive coaching from them. And so now I also do copywriting and I do audience research. Now I do like the whole gamut, but at at the beginning it was like, I was so, I think of like how timid I was. I was like, no, I only, I can give you strategy and I can set it up for you. But I was like, not touching the middle and how quickly that changed probably. Yeah. Within a year I was writing copy. Very cool. Okay. Well, that's an incredible story. And now today, I mean, I know that you have worked with many amazing brands. Are you able to name drop a little bit with some of the the incredible brands that you've worked with? Oh gosh, I think I should be able to. So in the personal finance space, I've worked with uh, Stephanie O'Connell Rodriguez and Aaron Lowry of Broke Millennial and Well-Kept Wallet. And then in the food blogging space, I don't know if you're familiar with Pinch of Yum or Food Blogger Pro, but oh, yes. I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm straddling these two niches and I love them both. Like, cause personal finance is like in my back pocket. I love it. And then, I mean, who doesn't love getting an email about lasagna? Like no one is ever mad about <laughs> getting recipes sent to their inbox. And, and it's so fun because what I get to do in my job is I get to look in on someone's business and see everything that sets them apart and why people love them and craft a message to like, really reflect that to new subscribers. And I hear so many times my clients are like, you know me so well. Or some another client was like, man, I sound like a real badass. I was like, yeah, Lisa, you are. Like you're doing good things. I really hope you don't have to edit that out. <laughs> but yeah, like that's who I work with today. I mean, I can answer more questions about that too, if you if you'd like. I love it. Okay. So how did you start? Like once you decided that you wanted to hone in on email marketing, how did you start getting clients? I'm curious what that looked like because you and I have very similar kind of backgrounds. I started off with a personal finance blog as well. Mm-hmm. And many of my first Facebook ads clients were in the personal finance space and some of them still are today. So I'm just curious, how did that transition take place? Ooh, Ooh Monica, that's such a good question. So if you even like rewind a little bit to before my actual business started, I've always been a people person. So like I just connect at random all the time. Like I've had a client come to me from Twitter. She's like, yeah, we had a conversation like a year and a half ago. I was like, of course I know who you are, Sarah. Like, but who knew, you know? And it's just, cause I can't not just interject myself into people's lives and stop them in the hallway at FinCon and whatnot. So even leading up to the actual business start, I was getting on calls with people just to let them know what I had been thinking about. And that was really cool because that meant as I did land on email marketing within the next few months, I could go back to them and let them know and share with them my packages. Some of them were even helping me craft my packages. Like, oh man, I could name drop some really generous people who were just sharing their wisdom with me. So a lot of it was personal connection. And they would, what that meant was I had them in my corner, not necessarily as clients, but as referrals. So at least getting my feet in the ground or on the ground with finding people that this might be a good fit for. 
I was also lucky. So FinCon was probably in September <laughs> or so of that year. And I literally just walk up to strangers. I actually think I remember walking up. I do remember walking up to you and then Pete McPherson at the same time and being like, hi, I'm Allie and I do email marketing. <laughs> and, and that's where I connected with Stephanie. And so by December, I had like my first big project, if you will. It wasn't small scale, like simple setup stuff. I'd kind of been doing like, sure, I could do a gig here for $800 or a gig here. And then, yeah, I'd started really developing my, my process at that point. And then that incubator, that course that I mentioned that kind of walked me through email marketing started in January. So within six months, I was really already refining my process and kind of claiming my niche, which was interesting because that group was definitely full of a lot of software as a service copywriters and business to business copywriters. And I was like, I want to work with bloggers. Is that, is that cool? Can I do that? That feels like easy for me because I know this space and it felt so out of the blue for everyone else. They like, don't think about bloggers on a day-to-day basis. And I'm over here, like they have so much great content. That's not getting shared with their people. Like I'm super passionate about it. And, and I got not so much lucky, but I saw a gap in the market. I saw people who've been vlogging for five, 10, 15 years who didn't have any automation set up. And I'm like, do you know how much traffic you're missing out on <laughs> to your most popular pages or your top affiliate pages? And so that's kind of how I landed in that space. And most of my leads have come from conferences. So like FinCon and then in the food blogger space, I was on their podcast once. And now I'm like one of their in-house experts and I'll chat with their members in their forum. And so I get a lot of, a lot of client leads through that community as well. I love it. Okay. Incredible. I I love this journey. And, and I mean, we have very similar paths of, you know, networking and building relationships. And even before there was any kind of attention of some people may become clients one day, just getting to know people. And I think that's a great skill to have. No, even if you're not a business owner, just knowing people, it, it can be helpful in life in general, but definitely as you're building a business. And so it looks like, you know, over these past few years, your business is just totally flourishing. So let's talk about email marketing and what exactly do you do with your clients when you start off with a new client? Is there, you know, an end goal in mind? What does that look like? What are your different packages? I'm curious about that. And then when you get started with a client, what is kind of the process that you do go through with them? So I'll walk you through my services and then we can kind of hit on the process. If, if I don't cover both at the same time, let's see, Monica. So I've basically got three packages and one of which is like a modification of a, of a larger package. So in most cases, clients come to me with some sort of automations, maybe it's like here or there or, but it's not really cohesive, but it's, it's salvageable. They're basically like, how can I fix this? Or what can I do to really reach my goal? I'm, I'm big on setting what that big goal and intention is. And most of my clients, because I work in welcome and nurture sequences come to me knowing that relationships are super important as much as like, I know that I'm helping them make more money and more sales and more site traffic it's not usually like their number one priority is not like sell 15,000 of these courses, you know? So they come usually with this intention of like, I want my email subscribers to know who I am, why I care and what resources I have. And so that's our goal is like, okay, let's do that to the nth degree of how authentic we can be and also 
provide them over time with resources that we know will build that that brand loyalty and trust with you so that when you do pitch something down the line or when you do pitch offers throughout your nurture sequence, they're more likely to take action. So I do an audit. So that's where I would come in and I look at everything. So it's funny, Monica, I learned about the audit from copywriters, but I've always been such a tech nerd. So my audit is like on speed. It's like, yeah, I'll look at your subject lines. I'll look at your copy. I'll look how Look at how often your emails are going out, but I'm also going to look at your tags and your segmentation and the nomenclature, which is just a funny word for basically the, how you've named your sequences and automations, just to like give you tips on how to clean it up, uh, as well as look at the subscriber journey. How are they currently entering your, your email list? What's that experience like? How can we make it easier for them and more enjoyable? Like, can you link to a welcome video? Like, it's, I love the audit because I just get to sit there and dream like, oh, and if you cleaned this up and like my type A self is just going bananas. And in that I'm providing recommendations for like, okay, now looking at what you have, here's what I recommend you do going forward. Whether it's a cold subscriber cleanup, a welcome sequence, a sales funnel, a nurture sequence, a webinar funnel, whatever it is based on their goals and what we've discussed that's when I, I present that to the client and they get all of those notes. So I always make it really clear, like you can take the audit and all of my notes and just run with it. Like you have paid for that. But in most cases, like 90% of the cases, clients are like, oh, this is all great. And now will you help me do it? And so that's where we move into what I call the duet debut. So duet is the name of my company and it's, it's your debut to your new subscribers. So that's where the name came from. At first I joked about naming it that, and then I actually did. <laughs> so um, I like it. I like it a lot. Thank you. I'm big on puns. Like I sign off my emails to my, my email marketing list with let's do it. Allie, <laughs> I think I'm <laughs> hilarious. So we move into the duet debut and that is a four phase process. The first is audience research. So with audience research, a lot of, most of the time it's a survey to your list because bloggers have pretty large followings and we can get pretty conclusive data kind of across the board doing a survey. With smaller audiences, I might interview people who have maybe gone through your membership or purchased your course or met with you for a consultation or whatnot, and then use that information to really draw out insights. So the insights that I'm looking for, I follow a method called jobs to be done. So the idea is that people aren't just coming to your site for a recipe or just coming for an app for how to manage their money. They are looking for some bigger solution. So whether that's peace of mind or they want to be able to buy gifts for their children and know that they have the money, or they want to know that they're going to put on like the best birthday party. And that's, you have the best cake recipe for that or whatnot. Like what is the big motivation? And then like, what sets you apart as a content creator and the solutions that you provide from other people on the internet or maybe the alternative is that people are doing nothing. So for instance, I have a client who get this, her specialty is helping wedding professionals with their search engine optimization. It's so niche, it's bonkers. But <laughs> so when people come to her, they're thinking like, I'm just so tired of showing up on the ninth page of Google. And with that, we're able to see what is it about Sarah that sets her apart from other SEO gurus and in most cases, all of the people following her had never heard of SEO. So they didn't even know what they were missing out on. So we have, you know, we've created a segment that just addresses people who are new to SEO and what they need to know before they can really make the most of the rest of Sarah's content or products, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So is that all the services? So you do the audit and then you do the duet debut and then what do we have? So I, that was only half the duet debut actually. So (laughs) I I went into my process. I went deep. I knew that. I love it. I love it. (laughs) So we did the audience research and then we'd craft out the strategy. So this is where we determine any segmentation or webinar funnels or whatnot. And so that's our high level view to make sure we know what each email should talk about and what the goal of each, you know, interaction with subscribers should be. And then once that's laid out, then I get into the copywriting phase. So this is where I will actually write all of the copy. So up to 15 emails based off of that original sequence framework is what I call it, but that high level overview the map of what we're going to cover. And then once all the copy is done and approved, then I actually set it up for my clients in their email service platform. So I'm like doing link triggers and automation maps. And if this, then that type things, like I, I love that side of it. So testing out all those emails and turning it all on. So in a, in a short nutshell, that's what that <laughs> looks like. Okay. So question about that. Do you only work with certain platforms? Because we have a lot of choices these days when it comes to email marketing tools and funnels. So do you work with all of them? Do you, you know, do you narrow your clients down to only a few? How does that, what does that look like? So that is a great question. I actually am platform agnostic, if you will. So most platforms are all kind of running along the same way. Just some have different features that others don't. So I love learning how different platforms work. I have a client who's on drip. And so I both loved it and didn't love it because you go into thinking it'll have a feature similar to like what ConvertKit or active campaign might have. And it doesn't. And so we had to make some modifications, but nope, it's, you know, I think it's more important that you have an understanding of how the platform works and the subscribers journey through all of that. And then we just build it to reflect the best possible journey that they could have through, through your emails, through your funnels. And so, yeah, I work with all sorts of platforms. Yeah. I would say ConvertKit and ActiveCampaign are most, are most common. I don't work with anyone in MailChimp. I usually steer them away from that (laughs) for a lot of reasons. Yeah. And then I've heard really good things about Flowdesk as well. Okay. So I haven't heard of Flowdesk, but what, what, what is it that you try and stay away from MailChimp about? I'm just curious. So the issue with MailChimp and they've known about this for years. Like this is not a new problem is that, and I don't know, I think part of my, my beef is that it hasn't really changed to reflect maybe really what subscribers need. So what it is, is it's basically, it's a list centric platform. So anytime a subscriber is on an individual list, you know, whether they opted in for something here or there, if they're on multiple lists on your MailChimp account, they count as one, one subscriber multiple times. So they might actually, you might be getting charged for four subscribers instead of just one versus, you know, if you're an active campaign or convert kit, you have a subscriber centric platform that you just open the, the name of the person, the subscriber, and you can see all these different tags. So then you're really able to craft campaigns around individual traits of your subscribers versus like all of these people on this list. And that's also important because in MailChimp, so say you have to set up a certain list, separate lists for each of the different opt-ins, then your lists don't communicate to one another. So you can't say, I want to send this offer to all of my subscribers, except for people who've already purchased it. You can't do that with lists. And then the tough part is there are workarounds, but I think my other beef is that like, you don't know about those workarounds when you're first getting started. And so like setting up groups and now they have tags, but I just don't really trust their functionality to be honest. 
from a user standpoint, but also to really know who your subscribers are. I think other platforms make that a lot easier. Okay. And then Flowdesk, is that a recommended tool or a stay away tool? I think it's a recommended tool. It's still pretty new. I've had a friend send me the kind of the automation setup that's in there and it looks really similar to what you'd find in active campaign. And then another one would be MailerLite. That one's totally free for like up to a thousand subscribers. So if you're not going to do MailChimp, but you want a free platform, check that out. ConvertKit also has a free option, but you can only send broadcasts and no automations. However, there's something to be said for starting on a platform and not having to migrate over to and you maybe yes. a more advanced platform in the future. So I, I would recommend, you know, even if you're just sending broadcasts when you're first getting started, what you're doing is you're practicing sharing your intellectual property and your, your, your position on things. You're getting used to writing, you're getting used to sending emails, and you can always repurpose those into automations in the future when you do upgrade. Okay. Yes. I totally agree with that because I myself have, have migrated a time or two. <laughs> and if you can save yourself the trouble and do your research up front for, you know, starting with a platform that has what you need now, but then also what you know, you're going to grow into as you grow your business that can save you a lot of, a lot of time, money, and headache down the road. Yes. Okay. So I covered two services. The other one is a modification of the Duet debut. And what that is, is basically it's like a mini audit, which I call a roadmap, because a lot of people who sign up for this, it's an email strategy intensive. They've come to me with, they're like, I've been doing it. I've got a lot of initiative to write it and set it up myself. I just need direction. So what I'll do is I'll basically audit what they do have, which usually isn't crazy extensive, give them some recommendations. And then I actually plot out the strategy for them of what what their welcome sequence could include and what their nurture or sales emails could include. And then at that point, they take it and run with it and write it and set it all up themselves. So that's uh, a really good fit for some people. What's interesting about my services is like, you usually know which one you're a good fit for. You're like, yeah, no, I don't want to write anything, Allie. I'm going to do the duet <laughs> debut. Or the other one's like, no, I'm like, I'm cool with writing it and setting it up, but can you help give me some direction? And so you've got somebody on your team who can help you with writing it already. And, but you just want, you know, an outside perspective of strategy to help with that. So, yeah, it's interesting. So many people take for granted or they don't see the value of their own existing content. And so what I'm doing is I'm looking at like, what is most popular on your site or what are the problems that your audience is facing? What are their most you know, frequently asked questions? What questions do they need answered before they get a pitch for your product or service? So that's the kind of stuff that I'm strategizing. And then we hop on a call and refine that and I answer any last questions they have. And then they're like, great, now I can just go write the emails and now I'm going to be hitting the mark. I love it. Okay. So what are we missing out on by not optimizing our email strategy? So flourish to some figures, we are scaling up to seven figures, probably hit six figures by now or multiple six figures. You know, if this is something we kind of been just doing our process, you know, as we, as we go this whole time, what are we missing out on by not diving into this and kind of, you know, looking for ways to optimize our strategy? Sure. From the get-go, I think about just from a branding perspective, you know, we show up in really intentional ways on our website or on Instagram or even like how we serve our clients. But if you think about how people are, they're joining you later in the game, you know, you may have shared about yourself or your services, you know, multiple times through broadcast emails, but how are you really introducing yourself to brand new subscribers who don't know who you are, but they're facing a lot of the same struggles that, you've got solutions for, and that's why you have your services or products. And so what you're missing out on from a branding perspective is like 
claiming your place in their mind of your place in the market with who you are, what you do and how you can help them. And so what that does is it builds brand familiarity from the beginning over the course of, you know, the first few emails of a welcome sequence. In some cases, I somewhat jokingly call it like, this is your soapbox email, like tell them why you care. And, and that's, that's the space to do that. You know, why is it unfair that the dieting culture has gotten out of control? You know, I just shared working on that with a dietitian client right now. She's a blogger and consultant. So by not having a welcome sequence, you're kind of missing out on, on piecing that together and really telling your whole story. And that will increase open and click-through rates in the future because people know who you are, or it removes the people from your list who are not a good fit. If they're like, oh, I don't actually really care. I just wanted the freebie then they leave (laughs) and that's okay. So it really kind of helps you keep your list really clean and on point. And then with ongoing nurture or sales emails, man, for that, it's really just making sure that everyone gets to either learn and follow the same learning curve as what you would want them to, whether it's leading up to a product or just as a thought leader and making sure that you're educating or supplying your list with helpful tools. So And perhaps that is a sales funnel. Maybe that's leading them to a webinar, but it's all run on autopilot. So you don't really have to ever wonder, have I told my, you know, my list lately about the importance of audience research? It's like, well, I know personally from my duet email list, there are, there are a couple emails in my nurture content that talk about the value of audience research. So I don't have to wonder if people on my list are hearing about that from me. And then on top of that, it's sending regular traffic back to your blog or to product sales pages or to a podcast. It's just, yeah, I think it comes with a lot of peace of mind to know that everyone's getting this really solid welcome and introduction to your brand and what you offer. That's great. Okay. So how do we know what, let's say we have a welcome sequence and how do we know if it's working, if it's really achieving the goals that we should have for our welcome sequence? Fantastic question. I think a lot of it is inherent. People will come to me saying, I have something, but my business has shifted or changed or my products have shifted or my audience has shifted and they don't really feel like it reflects who they are and what their business is anymore. So I would say that from a branding standpoint to make sure that your messaging and where you do want to show up in your online space with who you're serving and what you offer to make sure that that really feels clear and accurate for where your business has evolved to. Otherwise, I think a lot of it is just making sure a couple things. We want to share a lot of information with your new subscribers, but we don't want to overwhelm them. So I would say keep a keep a close watch on maybe your click-through rates or mostly your click-through rates. Your open rates are a little bit of a wonky vanity metric-ish. We can ex- I can explain that further. But yeah, seeing how people are responding and clicking through to you know, maybe a welcome video or freebie offers that you offer on your site, but you just want to make sure that they have, it's kind of hard to measure because it really is more of like your welcome basket. Like your, your, what's it called? When you get a new house, Monica, what's that called? Housewarming. It's like a housewarming gift. And so I would say like having one at all is better than having nothing. I would worry more about optimizing you know, as long as that feels like it's on point and you're directing people to your top products and services that you want to focus on right now, then I would worry about more optimizing your broadcast emails or getting traffic to maybe more campaign style notifications to different like launches or, or whatnot. 
So I wasn't, I wouldn't worry so much about how much a welcome sequence really feels like it's performing as much as it's hitting the mark and making your new subscribers really feel like they know who you are. Okay. I want to come back to optimizing your broadcast emails, but I do want to touch on <laughs> the click-through rates and the open rates and your thoughts around that. And because I'm curious, I was going to ask you, you know, what are quote unquote good open rates these days, good click-through rates, you know, what should we be shooting for? And then I want to hear your, your thought about the, you know, the, the wonkiness of the <laughs> the market. Well, we'll start there. So the open rate, I learned this from uh, my mentor from that incubator a few years ago about the thing with open rates is that a lot of email service providers, no, the inbox itself, those providers like Gmail or Hotmail or whatnot, or Outlook, they consider an email open in different ways. So some, you might actually open an email in your inbox, but if the images aren't enabled, then it doesn't communicate back to your email service platform that the email was opened. So they're just not entirely accurate. Or in other cases, it'll just count it as read because it landed in your inbox and you briefly browsed over it while going through to another email. So it's it's just not like a a solid metric to to worry about. And that's where the click-through rate is, is more important because you're asking them to take an action. The tough thing is, and this is the hard thing that (laughs) we struggle with with marketing in general, is that not every action has to be transactional. So a lot of it, you know, in my early nurture content, I didn't have a blog. So there's nothing to click on. It's literally just me teaching (laughs) and educating my audience. And so when you look at your overall sequence rates, just keep in mind, like not every one of your emails is generated in order to move people to click. Sometimes it's a reply and not every email service platform tracks replies. You know, so seeing it for the whole value that it is and what you're providing to someone. And let's see, so with open rates and click-through rates, as far as what are good numbers, man, that really depends on the industry. And being a marketer, I have to say, you just have to test things. You're going to hear that a lot if you talk to marketers. And so looking at your current rates. And so if you're going to open or increase your open rates, because I don't think it's like a a worthless thing. Subject lines are still really important to get things open. But I guess I bring that up because I don't want you worrying about like 30% to 32%. Did it work? You know, those kind of minute percentages, especially if you're just starting out and you're just building your list. Like, I don't want anybody hovering over their metrics thinking like, I'm ruined. It's only 28% today, you know, from their broadcast email. And it's like, no, don't worry about that. But if you can get it up from 28 to 38, then you know that your subject line is probably making a bigger difference than any glitches in Gmail. (laughs) And same goes, like I mentioned, for click-through rates. If you can I mean, you can try, first of all, add links. Like I need to go back to my early nurture sequence emails and probably add links to blog posts or resources to kind of measure that engagement. But another thing you could do would be to reduce the number of calls to action in an email and see how that improves your your click-through rates. Because a lot of times people get overwhelmed with decision fatigue. They're like, there are 16 links in here and I don't know what to click on. So you could test either or both different methods and see how your audience responds. I like that a lot. I've seen emails come through my, you know, my personal email where there is a single call to action, just one link at the end Mm -hmm. of the email. And it's, you know, a longer line because most of us are reading our emails on mobile. And it was just brilliant because did I, I mean, there was nothing else to click on in that email. And you know, whether I was like, 
wholly interested or just kind of interested, I clicked on it because it was the only thing. And so I was curious about the strategy. So anyway, so I'm curious about, yeah, testing that just giving people a lot of options mean that they're going to be more likely to click on one or, you know, giving them fewer options mean that they're going to reduce that decision fatigue and help them make that decision to, yeah, just go ahead and check it out. Right. And part of it too, is knowing what the purpose of that email is. Like if you're sending out a roundup email and you know that there are going to be five links, let there be five links, you know? So I, I wouldn't worry so much about the numbers when it comes to what your audience really needs. I know that's probably sounds really counterintuitive, but you're, you're building relationships with people. And if part of that is saying, Hey, you know, for instance, I have a roundup email of like, when you're just getting started with email marketing, here are the five things you need to do. And I linked to five different blog posts because what I've done is I've, I've done a lot of work for them by curating a list. And so I'm not really concerned so much with the click through, click through rate necessarily, because I know that like I've provided value to them and they're grateful for that. I'm glad that you said that too, because as marketers, you know, and I see this with Facebook ads too, it's like with my clients, with my students, we want to, we want to see the results, you know, am I getting the ROI from my Facebook ads? Am I, you know, and many times we're driving traffic to grow our email list, bringing people, you know, to our list, getting them through a nurture sequence, a sales funnel. And we want to see that return, you know, is it working in that way? But you've got to remember that we are building relationships with people that, you know, you're, you're, when your Facebook ad is seen, that's somebody who is, you know, a real person who's deciding mm-hmm. whether they want to interact with you or not. When people join your email list, that's somebody who may be interested in buying your products now, but they may need more time to build up and build that relationship with you, or they may be able to refer somebody else to you who may be ready to take advantage of your offerings right now. So anyway, just thinking about that, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's something that I think we all need to remember as we're going through the marketing and we're looking at the tactics and the strategies and like, is it working? Are we getting that return that we're looking for? You know, we're building relationships with real people. That's why at least I started my business. I know that's why you started your business, Mm -hmm. Allie, is that we are here to help people. And so anyway, I think it's always a good time to remind people of that. Oh, Monica, I love everything that you just said. I'm like over here nodding, like, amen, amen. And I just had a, a sales call with someone this morning and explained about how... I think you'll find this interesting is that sometimes your business serves people for a certain season of your subscriber's life. So for instance, I have, there's a blogger and I used to follow her religiously and I would watch every YouTube video and I'd read like every blog post and I applied everything that she told me. And so when she actually launched a course, I was like, Courtney, I've actually, I don't need your course. I did everything else that you said, so I don't need the course anymore. And I felt like this ache and grief over that. Cause I'm like, please take my money. You have been one of my most faithful mentors from the internet. Like this is me talking to myself. I didn't tell her this, but being like, I've now not surpassed the mentor, but like I've surpassed her product. And that's right. not a bad thing. It's like, I have referred so many people to her website, you know, and I am part of what the 2% of people that apply everything from her website who don't need to buy a course. Like there's so many other people that need that course for accountability. Whereas I'm just, I don't know what kind of creature I am that will just apply everything on my own and try it out. And so that being said, it's like, I unsubscribed from her list, not because I don't love and respect her and uh, like appreciate her content. It's just not a good fit for me anymore. And so that's also part of why unsubscribes are fine. And And part of, I think too, is the tension, Monica, with like, I'm growing my business and I know eventually I can serve three different markets, but right now I can really only serve one. 
you know, so I have to be okay with, I'm working with a lot of, you know, my email list is mostly for beginner email marketers, whereas my clients aren't, my email list is. And so knowing like, yeah, someday it would be nice to be able to have like a beginner course to pitch to them. And then I could also be doing advanced stuff and have a group mastermind over here or whatnot, but I'm only one person. And so part of it is knowing like your email, knowing what purpose your email list serves and for whom at what period of your business in, in their stage of life or business. Yes. I, I totally agree with all of that. And, and I mean, just like you said with that blogger that it sounds like you're still a fan for life. And when you come mm-hmm. across somebody who could use her resources, you're going to point them to her. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, but I do want to go back to subject lines. So any tips that you have there, you know, let's get back to the, we understand like (laughs) the goal of what we're doing here, but of course there are things that we can do to improve our open rates, to improve that engagement. So I'd love to have some of your tips on improving subject lines, getting those open rates open, you know, piquing people's curiosity, because I always share with my team, we need to have a really great subject line so that people will open the email and then they'll be presented with what we're offering in the email, whether Mm -hmm. it's my latest podcast or the promotion I'm doing right now, or, you know, a book that I'm reading that I just want to share with them. Anyway, so what what are your tips on subject lines? So like you said, the subject line has one purpose and it is to get the email opened. (laughs) And so there's kind of different schools of thought, uh, you know, that I've noticed in my own inbox because I subscribe to email lists and they're not even like going to some like offhanded folder. Like they are in my inbox. So I'm like seeing them come in and you have different kind of themes. You've got people that do things a little short and punchy that really intrigue you, like just kind of off the wall stuff. I'm thinking like, what is it called? not like, you know, there's like a little bit of a shock factor. You're like, Ooh, what is this? And you just have to open it. And then you have other people like, and I think I kind of fall into this camp. Like I want the subject line to reflect what's in the email. Like, so it's kind of like a subject, it's basically like a blog post title, but converted in a way that actually like feels a little bit more intriguing. But I, I like to share at least a hint of what's inside the email. Some people do that. Some people don't. And then Yeah. As far as like tips go, there's along with anything with email is that you want to write it as though you're writing it to another human being, like an actual email. So if it's all all of your letters are capitalized or title cased, you know, it's like, okay, that's more like the title of a thesis, not an email that I want to open. Another thing that performs really well is having the word you in there. So you're speaking to your subscriber. And like I said, like I have, I get a bunch of emails. So if you're curious what people are using for subject lines and need some inspiration, just go sign up for a handful of of email lists and see what people are sending out. That's a good way to just kind of monitor and see what's all happening in the market. Emojis are fun. You know, if that feels like it aligns with your brand and you don't want them super long because they can get cut off. And what else? You can try and include people's names and see if that tests differently. Last I knew, it doesn't really impact open rates to include someone's name. I would avoid all caps and using the word free. Like these are just like one-off tips that I have. Monica, I hope that's helpful. No, it is. It's super helpful. So what about, you said the word free. Mm -hmm, Like spam trigger words. Yeah. And exclamation points. Yeah. So can you share a little bit about that? I mean, is that going to put our email straight into the spam folder or be it at risk to do so? I think it's more just at risk. I'm not entirely sure on the play-by-play with that deliverability wise. I should probably do some more research on that, but I try and avoid it. Even like with the freebie delivery email, I try and avoid using the word free in the subject line. I'll be like, your guide is here or something Uh, like that. And I'm not really, I'm not so sure that exclamation points 
are a spam issue. So I think you're probably good to use those. And I know some people like to incorporate some all caps, you know, maybe one or two words, but like, don't scream at people if you can help it. Unless it's an actual emergency. (laughs) What about like at the end of a funnel, I'll see emails with the subject line, you know, time sensitive or other, other kind of like urgent or urgent. Yes. Or like, you know, the word urgent, like open now or, you know, something like that. Uh, Are you a fan of that? Or do you stay away? I think it makes more sense for a funnel. I think as an ethical marketer, we have to really evaluate what is actually urgent. And so I probably wouldn't use that language, but I would say like things like last chance or last call or doors are closing. As long as the doors are actually closing or the price is actually going up, you're good to use those things. There's a lot of like shady, shady things happening in in marketing online in general, but yeah, I think you're fine to say like last call, or I know I've used like the little red alarm clock emoji of like time's running out. I think, oh, that's super fine. I think if you use that all the time, people are going to get really desensitized to it right? and they're not going to respond, but it totally works fine for a launch or an automated campaign because that's not your usual subject line kind of. We don't, we don't want to clickbait people either. Right. I said this in a presentation last week. I was like, we are not desperate. We're right. Let's say together, we are not desperate. We do not need to scream at people and we do not need to trick them. Like rise above. Okay. I'm not saying that they were doing that, but I was like, as an industry, we need to take a chill pill. I love that. Okay. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on cleaning our list? I've heard some people have very strong opinions about never clean your list, always clean your list. Where do you fall in that camp? who are these people to say never to clean your list? Because what I've heard is because what you brought up about, you know, the inaccuracy of open rates. Mm. And so that's why, because you can never completely know who's actually opening, that you might be letting go some people who actually do want to stay on your list. So, so where do you, Mm. where do you land on that? That's a good perspective. Oh, I'm here for this. This is a critical, I get to critique this thought. So with, I would say, keep your list clean. What you can do, there's a lot of different ways you can try and re-engage your sequence. And the reason why you want to have your list clean are a handful of things. If people aren't opening, it's like, this is terrible sequence, but if people are not opening your emails, the email servers will tell your domain that, you know, so many of your emails are going unopened, therefore it's probably spam. And then you kind of, you could get spam blocked and have deliverability issues that way. So by continuing to send emails that may not be getting opened or majority of them are not getting opened, then you could run into problems with deliverability that way, things that are basically out of your control. So by cleaning up your list, you're able to reduce that likelihood. But also, I mean, you don't have to clean it up like to the nth degree all of the time. But what you can do with sending a re-engagement sequence, first and foremost, is you could just simply ask them, is this the best email address for you? Or, and see, you know, and if they engage with that, then it removes them from being a cold subscriber because they've actually engaged. If you're sending a lot of emails that don't have links and you don't really know if people are engaging, then that's a problem. So I would say include links so you can actually kind of measure, you know, maybe you've had people opening your emails and they're not clicking because there's nothing to click on. And I think that that's how cold subscribers are really identified. It's like they either haven't opened or clicked over, you know, X amount of time. So with a re-engagement sequence, like I said, you can just ask them to update their contact information. You never know if somebody like changed their job or, or if there's a, you know, maybe they want to move it to their personal email where they'll, where they'll actually open it. You can also ask them to self-segment, say like, hey, can you tell me more about what you would benefit from learning more? And you can just save that data or you can send them into a related nurture sequence. The point is that you're trying to get them to 
act or move. So in a lot of times too, you can just be really blunt saying like, Hey, I know that like, I've been sending you emails. If they're not really a good fit for you anymore, can you just unsubscribe down below? Otherwise click here and I'll make sure to keep you on my list. So it can look mm-hmm. a lot of different ways and you can still provide value through that. I like so, that. It's kind of just like checking in with a friend. Like, are you okay? Is this still working for you? <laughs> yeah. Yes. And and you can make that a reusable sequence that you send cold subscribers through, you know, every three months or something like that. Send your list of cold subscribers through that. Yeah. I would say like, have it be at least two emails long, you know, maybe after the first one, they get another one a week later and if they still haven't replied to either of them or engaged with it, then you're probably good to cut them loose. Okay. I like it. I like it a lot. Okay. So what can we do to increase engagement? You shared a lot about, you know, making sure you're including links, but should we also say, you know, have kind of an open-ended question, say reply back here. Should we be doing that every so often? Should we include that in our welcome sequence? What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I have a friend, Sarah, she also does welcome and nurture sequences. And she's a big proponent of using the questions, especially in your welcome sequence, because that also tells your you know, the backend domain that this is like people are replying, this email address is real, or these emails going out are a real person. And so I know I have questions in my early welcome sequence. I don't always get a lot of replies. And then like this week, I had like four people reply to my automated emails. And I'm like, oh, hello, <laughs> new people, welcome. And I'm just asking like, if you had a magic wand, what's one thing you would change about your email marketing? Or I think in another one, I asked them what their biggest frustration is. Sometimes it's tech or sometimes it's not knowing what to say. And just getting that reply back is, is pretty awesome. Actually, Monica, I think I left, I did leave this out in my personal finance days with my blog. I had a three email welcome sequence and people would reply back with like their personal, personal finance questions. Like, I'm getting evicted or my boyfriend lost his job and all of this. And so that's actually like what really got me honed in on email because I saw how personal it can be. So as much as like, yeah, having a reply could help with your deliverability. It also keeps you really connected to your, your audience. That's great. So any other tips? I I feel like I could talk to you for hours, but uh, (laughs) as far as emailing, nurturing sales, driving more sales with, you know, getting that conversion rate from our emails, any other thoughts there? Yeah, I think a big one that I think intimidates people, I know intimidates people, is segmenting your list. But by segmenting your list and, you know, providing tailored offers based on products or the the individual, you know, that segment's biggest pain points or needs, that'll help increase your your click-through and conversion rates as well because you're able to send detailed emails with more specifics about their situation versus generalized. So if you're seeing like, ah, I'm not getting the sales that I want, see if you can target a specific segment of your list and if that performs differently. And by that, I mean, that's like, that's such a broad stroke thing to say, but by that, I mean like, so say you have like Food Blogger Pro, for instance, is one of my clients and they have a membership that is suitable for people who are beginning growing or taking their blog full time, right? So pitching that membership in general to everyone who comes up, comes onto their email list is going to be, I mean, it's good, right? But to make it even better is you could segment the list into these three sections and speak to the needs of each of those groups individually. Because people starting their blog want to know about WordPress plugins or people growing their blog have already got those plugins, but they want to make more money. And people who are going pro, 
don't need to know about those plugins either because they are bringing on team members. So you're able to sell the same product, but in different, more tailored ways with more specifics and specificity sells better than generalities. That's a great tip because I can even think about that in my own, like with my own offerings, that if I'm segmenting my list well, then I can present my flourish with Facebook ads, my training program, that -hmm. it could be a great offer for somebody who's new and wants to learn Facebook ads themselves or somebody who is building their team and they want to have their team member learn Facebook ads, or if they want to just outsource it, then I've got my agency that I can offer as well. And making sure that I'm speaking to the right people and presenting the right offer is going to help increase my conversion rates. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, this has been fantastic, Allie. I am glad that we covered so many things in this episode. It's been fantastic. And you have a great resource for us that I would love for you to share. And then also tell everyone how they can get in touch with you, how they can find out about working with you. What, where should they go to follow you and reach out? Sure. So I've actually created a landing page just for the listeners. So it's duet.co slash flourish. It's D-U-E-T-T dot C-O slash flourish. And on there is that free download that you just mentioned all about how to confidently tag and segment your subscribers. There are walkthrough videos. It is a labor of love and it's totally free. I'm thinking about putting a dollar sign on it eventually, but not yet. (laughs) And on that same page, you can also find a link to book a call with me and discovery calls are totally free. And so if you're like, oh, I know that I could be doing more with email. Allie, can you help me? (laughs) I would love to be able to talk through my services and which one might be the best fit for you. And so all of that is at duet.co, especially on the Flourish page. I have all the links right there for you. You can also follow me on Instagram at Allie Grimmert. And it's spelled funny. It's A-L-L-E-A. And so it's better off just linking to it. (laughs) I will link to it in the show notes. I'll put all the links in the show notes. My funny spelling name and my last name too. Doesn't, doesn't make it easy. We'll put it in the show notes. Thanks. All right. Well, thank you so much, Allie. This has so been fantastic. Just love chatting with you and geeking out about all of this with you. Thank you for sharing all of your tips and wisdom with us today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Monica. All right. Isn't Allie just such a delight? She and I had so much fun talking during the interview, but then we chatted for a bit after the interview. She's just an incredible person building an incredible business, doing amazing things. And I'm so honored to have her on the podcast here today. So remember, you can go to duet.co slash flourish to grab that incredible resource. It's a book plus video training tutorials called Seven Ways Email Tags Can Improve Your Subscriber Engagement and Build Brand Loyalty. And you can grab that at duet.co slash flourish. And be sure to check out Allie on Instagram. She's at Allie Grummert. As I said, I'm going to have all the links and resources that we mentioned in this episode at monicalouis.com slash 92. But go check out what Allie is up to. And I want to thank you so much for joining Allie and me today. Don't forget that I'm offering $100 off the cost of joining Flourish with Facebook ads. You can grab that at monicalouis.com slash iOS 100. And once again, I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to be offering that incredible savings. So take advantage of it now if you know that in 2021, you are ready to scale your business with Facebook and Instagram ads. Once again, I will have all the links and resources that we mentioned in the show notes at monicalouis.com slash 92. All right. Don't forget to subscribe so that you can be automatically notified when the next episode comes out. I've got more incredible interviews coming at you, plus some fun solo shows coming at you as well. So subscribe so you don't miss it. Brand new episodes come out every single Thursday. 
And I can't wait to see you next week on the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. That's all for today. Take care, stay healthy, and let's flourish. Flourish.